Well, good morning again, folks. We're going to keep going with our series that I've called Running on Empty. The idea, of course, is if you've been following the series, is that we want to anchor ourselves in some truths to help us get through this lockdown and not be overwhelmed by everything that's going on. Um, whenever this initially happened, I saw a lot of stuff on Facebook and other outlets, you know, people talking about big, broad topics like having faith in the storm and having hope in the trial and peace in a, a, a third bad thing. But talking just in terms of having faith and hope is all well and good if it's practical. It has to be practical to help someone who doesn't feel like they have faith or hope or peace. There can be few things as frustrating in life than being at a low point, feeling that you've got no more faith to give, no more hope to hold on to, no more peace to have. And then some smug Christian comes along and says, well, just believe and trust a wee bit more. As in, hey, I hear you've got nothing left in the tank. Well, find some more and it will be okay. So what I've tried to do is I've tried to anchor us with this series in a few practical steps. I mean, the last two messages were simply written in the importance of having a proper day off, a Sabbath, a day to recharge, not just our bodies, but your head and your heart too. A day set aside and different to the other days, ring fenced. Because if we're being honest, some of us aren't on run out of fuel because of the lockdown. Some of us were running on fumes long before we got to this point and it's causing worry and anxiety and frustration and it's maybe good that God has made us stop and lie down and pause for a season. Now our message at the weekend on Sunday coming is going to be about worry as a weight that drains our fuel tank, drains our energy. But for now I want to spend a few moments talking about something that can really use up more than enough fuel in our tanks and that's Detours. Sometimes we have a plan. Go from A to B. How hard can that be, really? But it's rarely that easy in life, right? Because we always want to help someone and we're always maybe trying to run around to do something for other people. And if you've got a chronic condition of trying to please other people, when you're always so keen to have people like you and you hate the thought that someone doesn't like you or someone doesn't appreciate you or someone isn't fond of you, you'll end up making so many detours that you'll never get to go from A to B without first stopping off at C, D, E, F, right through X, Y, and Z first. In fact, usually you end up somewhere else entirely because you're so busy adjusting your journey for everyone else. Your car becomes a taxi service to make everyone else happy and all it does is empty your tank. Maybe for you it started off being hard making friends as a child. Or maybe being a new person in a work and you kind of had to feel you had to make the effort, bend over backwards to ingratiate yourself. Maybe it comes from a distant parent or step-parent who never really took time to engage or, or take notice. Maybe it came from peer pressure or, or it can come from a whole range of different places. But it's addictive. And I wonder, are you addicted to approval? Proverbs 29:25 tells us that the fear of man is a dangerous trap. It's a trap that we can fall into. But it says to trust in God means safety. Another version would say it's a dangerous trap to be concerned about what other people think of you. But to trust in God means safety. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with wanting to live a life that brings joy to others, that enriches others. The Bible has plenty of commands that tells us about how we should respond to one another, to not to care for one another. Um, I mean, to not care is so unloving. 
to, to not care at all about other people makes you a narcissist. That's a whole different set of problems. God made us for community. He made us to be sociable creatures. We He made us to need people and to want to relate to people well. I mean, that's the difference between having wars and having peace. About how we relate to one another. But like everything, the good things that God gives us can be twisted, can be abused, can be misused. Take something like food. It is a wonderful gift from God. Can it be abused and misused? Yeah. Sex is good. Can it be abused and misused? Yeah. Our need for approval. Can that be misused? Can that be abused? Yeah. And look, I don't want to talk about too much about why this addiction is dangerous, why it's a snare. But let me just offer you a couple of uh, pointers just off the top. Um, it gives all the people control of your lives. It's a really big one. If you do anything to please people, then you give them a control they shouldn't have. They'll decide what your their plan for your life is. Maybe it's a parent who decide that you, you should be a doctor, even though you have no interest in being a doctor, or a spouse that pushes you to go for a promotion that you don't want. First Thessalonians 2, 4 says, Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. And another reason um, is that it could lead us to sin. If I surround myself with people who I want approval from, then I'll do whatever they're doing to receive that approval. Time and time again, I've seen it. You talk to a teenager. It doesn't matter if they go to church or if they don't go to church. Right? Just grab a teenager and say, okay, look, listen, what's your biggest struggle? Chances are they'll say fitting in, peer pressure. It's the same struggle that we have. Now, we change the name. We don't call it peer pressure. We call it people pleasing, but it's the same thing. If any, everyone in work sneaks off early or fudges their expenses or whatever happens to be, and you're the only one who stays or the only one who does it right, there's a pressure, especially if they need you to come along with them to cover them. So much of our sin comes from wanting to please people more than God. Exodus 23:2, all the way back in Exodus, it says you must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. This is a thing that goes right back. and We really haven't grown out of it. So let me give you one more problem that being addicted to approval can bring. So it can uh, give people control of your life that they shouldn't have. It can lead us to sin. Number three is that it robs us of our sincerity. If I say one thing to one group of people to fit in there and then say the opposite thing to fit in with a different group of people somewhere else, that's the definition of being insincere. When we start wearing masks and adapt to our environment and one of the most exhausting things is trying to remember what mask we're supposed to be wearing with different crowds because none of it comes natural to us. We don't want to show our true opinions, our true feelings because we want to give them a reflection of what we think they want. So we fake it and we pretend and it's not how God wanted us to live. In Luke 16 verse 15 we read that he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public but God knows your hearts. Another version puts it like this, saying you're trying to make yourself look good in front of others. But God knows what's really going on. God wants us to be consistent. Singular. The same on the inside and the outside. Now, don't mishear me with this. There's no place, there, there's still a place for knowing when to shut up. There is a place for speaking politically correct. We don't want to be offensive. We don't want to go around hurting people, but we do want to be honest. Integrity is more important than popularity. Integrity is more important than popularity. 
2 Corinthians 10, 18 says, when someone boasts about himself and how well he has done, it doesn't count for much. But when the Lord commends him, that's different. It only matters what he thinks. It means that when I think like that, it means I'm less quiet, less afraid to be quiet, less afraid to speak up. It makes me able to stop running around from everyone else's demands to do what God has called me to do because I'm thinking more about my priorities. Well, God, the king has told me to do this. So look, these other people are going to have to wait because the king has spoken. I think there's so many Christians running on empty because we're living for the wrong things and we're trying to use the wrong fuel. We're trying to get by on people's approval instead of God's. Approval addiction is a big deal. So how do we deal with it? Well, we need to change how we think. It's about our mind. And if we don't change the way we think, then people are always going to be allowed to come in and dictate our lives. There is a choice element to this. It's not an easy choice. It's easy to decide that, yes, I want to do it. It's hard to follow through. But Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world or don't let it dictate to you. Don't let it mold you or shape you, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so let me give you four simple truths to help anchor you in making those choices. Number one, not even God can make everyone happy all the time. Take a football match. Any given football match, there's going to be two sets of fans praying that two different football teams are going to win that match. Well, one set of fans are going to be unhappy. Or maybe there's going to be some people praying that it's the weather stays good so that they can sunbathe. There might be some farmers praying that it rains for their crops or for whatever. There could be dozens praying that uh, they'll get the same job. God can't make everyone happy. He can't answer all their prayers. And if God can't please everyone and he's perfect, we're kidding ourselves thinking that we can do. Doing the right thing is always going to put someone's nose out of joint. Now, they need to get over that, but it will mean that not everyone will like you all the time. Besides, if everyone did like you, that might be an indicator that there are some issues. In Luke 6, 26, Jesus was speaking and says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus said, like, if everyone only has exclusively good things to say about you, it can mean that you've never had an honest opinion. You've never shared an honest thought in your life. You've never said anything of merit. All you've done is change the masks depending on the scenario. All you've done is become a chameleon. Jesus said that's an issue because the moment you share an opinion, someone's going to have a different one. So you're not going to keep everyone happy all the time. Worry about doing the right thing. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is tell someone something they don't want to hear. Is it loving for a doctor to hide a diagnosis from a patient because they'll not want to hear it? Is it loving for you to allow someone to continue in a dangerous lifestyle? Is it loving to keep giving drink to an alcoholic? Sometimes the most loving thing to do is not going to make you popular or liked in that moment, but the right thing and the easy thing are rarely the same thing. So number two, the approval of others is not a requirement for your happiness. Let me just be frank here. How much of your life have you wasted by trying to please unpleasable people? No matter what you did, how much time you gave, how much extra you committed, how much back contorting and twisting you did for them, 
how many detours you make, at the end of the day, they're never going to be happy with what you bring to the table. There are people who are still trying to get approval from those who have long forgotten about them, a teacher, a coach. There are people trying to get words out of their parents, out of their ears. Those words that say, well, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister, your cousin, your friends from church? And these words have imprisoned you. All our efforts to please them has not worked and trying more is a self-inflicted prison. It's not your problem, it's theirs. You don't need their approval to be happy. Them not being able to value God's creation, not being able to see your worth for what it is, is not your issue. It's not your burden to carry, it's theirs. It's their blindness. Their attitude is not your fault. So release yourself with that burden. Give yourself permission to not chase that unchaseable thing. Don't seek to build your happiness on making everyone else happy. It's a slippery slope that will leave you with an empty tank. No human being can meet all our needs. Even the ones who do love us and approve of us, they're not going to satisfy. They can't meet all our needs and they're imperfect. So they'll fall short somewhere along the line. Oh, there's no such thing as a perfect wife. There's no such thing as a perfect husband. There's no such thing as a perfect child or parent. And so no matter how much you love them and how much they love you, they're still imperfect. And yet if you rely completely on them, they'll, they'll collapse under the weight of your expectation. Only God can meet that deep need. Isaiah 51, 12 says God. God says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you're afraid of man who dies? Psalm 27, 10 says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. It's a powerful verse. Even if the people who should be most loyal to me abandon me, even if my own parents are unappeasable, the Lord will not abandon me. So why are we chasing after these people who, who don't even really count, who don't even have a lasting imprint on our lives, but we give them that control, we give them that say. Whenever we then ignore God, he is eternal and is ever-present and is with us. Number one, not even God can make everyone happy all the time. Number two, the approval of others is not a requirement for your happiness. Number three, God is eternal. Only God is eternal. Let me put it to you like this. The stuff that seems so important today probably isn't going to seem too important tomorrow. Remember all that stuff that kept you awake 10 years ago? No, me neither. I have a rough memory of maybe something that was annoying me or I could maybe uh, trigger one song, but I can't remember the specifics. Do you remember all of the teenage dramas? Of course not. Do I remember every exam that I took and worried about and studied for? No. Because the truth is, God has more of a say in what's going on in my life than marks on a page. And yet all these times of stressing and worry and anxiety, it's the biggest issue that was ever faced by anyone ever, but guess what? It's not forever. I bumped into some of the guys that I went to school with a while ago and people that I so respect and to an extent wanted to people please, but guess what? School, turns out, was when they peaked. And that was as good as it got for them. And these people who I gave so much power to, to, to kind of mould and shape, it doesn't matter now. Only God is forever. 1 John 
2, 17 says, Oh, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Satan has switched the price tags on things and has convinced us that the things in life that have so little value in God's eyes are the most precious. And at the same time, he has cheapened the things that are of real eternal value. Remember Luke 16, 15? Or run around trying to make ourselves look good but God sees what's in our heart the things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned yeah, we waste so much time chasing after it number one oh sorry number four learn to live for an audience of one ultimately the only person that we need to please is God you may have never realized this but people pleasing is idolatry the first commandment of the ten is don't have any other gods before me. Anything you put before God becomes a god. So a holiday could be a god. A career could be a god. A girlfriend could be a god. Golf could be a god. Anything that comes number one in your life that isn't God becomes your god. Because we always have something that we worship. We always have something that's top of the tree. The second commandment is don't make any idols. Anything that replaces God in your life is an idol. Success could be an idol. Money could be an idol. Sex could be an idol. A relationship could be an idol. And if that relationship to your girlfriend, your wife, or your boss, or your friend is more important than God, it's an idol. And when we are a people pleaser, we have allowed something other than God to take first place. Because all of a sudden it's a God, it's an idol because we're chasing after their approval and we're allowing God's approval to slip down the, the priority list. And what happens is what they think of us matters more to us than what God thinks of us. We don't want to tell people that you were a Christian because they might think less of you. We don't want to tell them that we go to church because they might think less of you. And in that moment, we have another God in our life. We have an idol. We only have to please one person. Paul says in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In life, you only have one person that you have to please, and that is your creator. You only have to please the Lord, the one who made you and has a purpose for your life. That simplifies everything enormously. The only need one person's approval and that's God's. Jesus said it like this in John 5 verse 30. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, look, I'm living for an audience of one, so I don't care what you all think of me. It's only God, my father, that matters. And I promise you this, doing that will impact everyone around you for good. It'll make for a far bigger impact than all the masks that we're trying to put on. Romans tells us that one day we'll stand before God and give an account of our lives that we'll have to explain with the evidence in front of us, which was bigger in our lives, pleasing man or pleasing God. Was I more concerned about what they thought about me or what God thinks? Now, as a pastor, I'll get people asking me all kinds of questions all the time. Anytime my phone goes, I go, oh, what could this be about? And so sometimes, heaven or hell, is it real? Prove it. Well, right now, other religions, are you saying they're all wrong? Why do you still think it's wrong for two men to be in a relationship together? And I get these questions and sometimes it's a public place and sometimes they're just trying to embarrass or put me on the back step. And sometimes they're, it's because they're really personally invested in the answer. 
And in those moments, everything in me wants to tell them something that will make them like me. Something that will make me feel good. I, I want people to think about me as kind and loving and gracious and not like the old fuddy-duddy Christians that they maybe have come across before. Everything in me wants to give them an answer that will make them feel good about Christianity and feel good about God. But I can't deny it. Everything I say, I have to give an account for it. Not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian and I represent the king, as do you. Every chat with a neighbour, every catch-up in a hallway, every Facebook post, every Snapchat, every typed letter, we have to give an account. Luke 9, 26 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory, and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Jesus said it is far more important that you live for an audience of one. It's not about you growing up to become more like your mum or dad or, or being who they want you to be, but being more like God and who he created you to be. In the Phillips Bible, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 read like this. It says, with wide, eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, Give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould, but let God remould your minds from within so that you may prove and practice what the plan of God is for you, meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Christ is the answer to people pleasing, to the addiction of being liked by everyone. Only he has a plan that will bring you real joy and peace. So is God the biggest thing in your life? I'm not asking if you're saved or not saved. I'm wanting more from that. I'm not asking if you've been in church or been watching all the videos. I'm not asking that. I'm asking something bigger. Is God as big in your life as he should be? Is he first? Or are there idols there? And maybe by answering that question and starting to worry less about pleasing everyone around you and just pleasing one, we might cut down on some of the fuel emptying detours in this life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And yet, Lord, we have to confess that we spend so much time running around worried about what people think of us. And sometimes we try to rationalize it as a form of evangelism. Because we, if they like us, then they must like you more. And yet, Lord, you've called us to be honest. You've call, called us to speak up and to be light in the darkness, to bring warmth in the cold uh, world that we live in. Lord, we are meant to be distinctive. We are meant to stand out. So, Lord, help us to live for you. Lord, may other people decrease, may you increase. Lord, that you may be so big in life so. We can't see anyone else other than you. And then as we live for you, just all uh, those wonderful characteristics that we want people to see in us will be seen. Not because it's a mask, but because that's who we really are in living as a response to your presence in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.